If you're scrolling through Twitter looking for basketball coaching ideas, you've probably seen these two guys leading the charge. You may recognize today's first guest by his handle, Half Court Hoops, on Twitter, where he breaks down film of NBA and NCAA play sets and provides commentary on the evolution of modern basketball. But today, he's Gibson Piper, Heritage High School varsity boys basketball coach and AAU coach for Wake County Basketball Association. His counterpart on today's episode is Jordan Sperber, former Division I analytics and video specialist. You may have seen his work on YouTube or Twitter where he's known as HoopVision68. He's the founder of HoopVisionHQ.com, a basketball content powerhouse focused on analytics, X's and O's, and coaching tactics. In this conversation, Piper and Sperber take you through the importance and fundamentals of using stats in your program. They also dig into the myths and facts behind basketball analytics, as well as show you how to look into the future of basketball. Hey all, welcome to this session, Myths and Truths About Basketball Analytics. This session features two really great minds. I'm a huge fan of both of these guys, great minds of basketball. They do an excellent job of breaking down some of the more complex topics in basketball, making it approachable, making it simple, whether that's the X's and O's or diving into the deep end of data analytics. First, we have the owner and creator of the basketball playbook and half court hoops. He's also a coach at Heritage High School in Wake Forest, North Carolina, Gibson Piper. And opposite coach Piper is the owner and creator of Hoop Vision. And he's also a former video coordinator for the New Mexico State men's basketball program, Jordan Sperber. Gentlemen, I'm thrilled to have you both here today at Switch 21. Please take it away. Thanks, Brad. I appreciate it. Um, I guess how we want to start, Gibson and I, first of all, um, for those of you that aren't familiar with us, Gibson and I have done a podcast in the past. Um, so this is almost like a reunion of sorts for <laughs> us. Uh, and, and I think we this sort of idea of, of analytics um, and, and just this general topic was something that we wanted to talk about more um, and never did. So this is a great, a great forum for us. I guess really quick, we'll... Uh, you got our bios, but we'll, let's talk about uh, our relationship with analytics specifically. So for me, um, analytics was kind of how I got into the, the the college basketball industry. I was the guy in high school who was literally in spreadsheets and learning about basketball analytics um, and taking statistics classes. And that was that was the way I differentiated myself to I, I was a graduate assistant at the University of Nevada and then video coordinator at, at New Mexico State, like Brad said. Um, Gibson has, and I should say since then, since working in the industry, I've, I think I've been a little bit more well-rounded. So I've done a lot more with the X's and O's. I learned a lot from the coaches that I worked with. And so I still have that sort of foundation of analytics, but now with a, a, a broader approach to the game as well. Um, Gibson's background is a little bit different, so I'll let him uh, introduce himself. Yeah, I when it comes to analytics, for me, it was definitely secondary. Um, I was, you know, I was trying to learn the game. I was studying film. I was studying coaching clinics, coaching notes. And then I read uh, Dean Oliver's book and kind of learned more about it. Didn't really like grasp it. You know, it's, it's, it can get pretty complex, especially in that book. But uh, what I started to realize is as a coach, you need to have the whole picture and uh, analytics are a big part of that. So started to learn more, started to dive deeper, started to figure out what's important, you know, at the high school level. And then, and then, you know, MBA as they moved into kind of like this whole uh, analytic surge, if you will. 
uh, just kind of processed all the information. I use it occasionally in like my breakdowns, but for coaching, I definitely use it as a huge tool, especially in high school, because at the school I coached at previously, we didn't have the best talent. So we had to kind of uh, find, you know, where we could win, where we could beat other teams and that you know, analytics played a big part in that. So uh, developed as I kind of went along, um, took a stat class at my local college here, you know, just to learn more about it too. And I loved it. So uh, now I use it a lot in terms of kind of interpreting what I'm already seeing on film and then taking that kind of whole, you know, picture approach. So you mentioned basketball on paper, which was definitely something that I read too early on in high school. And really, during that time, which is now 10, 15 years ago, when, when that book was getting really popular and when I was starting to get into it, analytics wasn't a word that was used yet, actually. It, it's a kind of a buzzword that's been added after the fact. And what, what the basketball stats movement used to be called at that time, for the most part, was tempo-free statistics. That was everything was tempo-free. And I think that book did an especially good job of laying out what tempo-free means. Um, and that was really like the first insight, I think, from the whole movement was to look at the game on a on a possession basis. And Gibson, you mentioned how you use this with your high school team. I think this ties into it. Um, but really quickly, the the example that was always used back then, and and now both of these coaches are actually retired, um, so it's a little bit outdated. But uh, Roy Williams and North Carolina always plays played and plays a fast pace and. Uh, uh, Bo Ryan and Wisconsin play a slow pace. And if you're just looking at traditional points per game, uh, naturally, uh, Wisconsin under Bo Ryan was never going to look like a good offensive team. And on the other, and they were always going to look like a good defensive team and then exactly the reverse for, for North Carolina. Um, and uh, one of the founders of this sort of tempo free movement was Dean Smith, who was before Roy Williams as, as the guy. And um, I don't think it's a coincidence that someone that played at his pace sort of realized, no, per game numbers aren't quite as accurate as, as points per possession or looking at things on a per possession basis. Um, and is that kind of where you start with, uh, with your, with your uh, high school stuff? Absolutely. Because, you know, in a high school game, you know, you could have 20 turnovers and you think that's horrendous, but then you talk about, well, you had 180 possessions, you know, we don't, but in high school games, usually 80 to hundred possessions on a fast, fast team. So like, if you have 10 turnovers that could seem like, Oh, the coach's goal was 10 turnovers. We reached that goal. Like we, we did our good job this game, but we only had 55 possessions. Like maybe that's not a great number you want to have when it comes to the actual possessions in the game. And then the next game you have the same 10 turnovers, but it was a 70 possession game. So we just, it just allows us to interpret more clear, like instead of just putting a hard number, like 10 turnovers, it's like, no, we want to only turn the ball over on 10% of our possessions or, you know, 15%, whatever the goal is. So that way, you don't go, you're not trying to go from 10 turnovers to eight turnovers. You just, you can just go from, Hey, let's go 15% turn percentage down to 14. Let's just keep cutting the number down. And it does help the kids kind of visualize, Hey, we're making progress. You know, you know, going from 10 to nine is, is, is good. But if you go from 15% to 10%, it, it gives them more of like solid numbers versus just 10, nine, eight, you know, and it gives them a little more progress to reach. Right. So that's one of what's called the four factors, which is, again, a Dean Oliver um, creation, at least the, the name is a creation. And I guess let, let's lay those out. 
for everyone. So the the four factors are shooting turnovers, which which is what Gibson mentioned, um, rebounding, and free throws, getting to getting to the foul line. And Gibson, all of them can be sort of uh, made tempo free. So accounted, measured as accurately as possible, basically, is, is the goal of tempo free stats. And the first one that Gibson just explained is turnover percentage, which is, okay, we had this many possessions, we turned it over this many times. That, that one's pretty simple. Another one um, that is now very common within, <clears throat> excuse me, coaching and and even I think fans sort of understand is effective field goal percentage, um, which is measuring shooting. Uh, and the whole idea of effective field goal percentage is threes are worth 50% more than twos. And that should be reflected within our, our percentages. So if you think about uh, a guy who is a 40% three point shooter, if you're just looking at raw field goal percentage, you know, he doesn't necessarily stand out and effective field goal percentage accounts for how much those shots are worth. Um, is that something that, that, uh, you guys look at? I know. So at the, at the, uh, uh, college level at every TV timeout, you get a box score, you know, like a printed out box score. I'm assuming you guys don't have this. So, um, are you looking at some of this stuff in game or is it out of game for you guys? Um, yeah, we don't have a lot of the resources, unfortunately, especially when COVID hit too, it was just like all our budget stuff, you know, get slashed. So, um, what we do is we kind of, after the game go through and, and, you know, chart everything and, and look at it from there. Uh, we try to keep an open mind during the game, but you know, again, you see one shot miss and it's bad and you just get in, in your own head. So, um, most of our stats are done after the game, um, you know, we may have, may keep track of like turnover. Like if we know we're turning the ball over a lot, you know, in the last five games may keep track mm -hmm. of them during the game. Uh, but for the most part, like from my, my coaching perspective, uh, I'd rather focus on like the, the adjustments we need to make from a scheme standpoint versus a result standpoint. Um, because, you know, if you become result oriented, you could have the best actions and the best uh, offense and the best defense and the best effort, but the shots aren't going in and the other teams making every shot they take. And then you become focused on the result versus focused on the process of, Hey, we're doing the right things. We're making the right decisions. They're doing what we're asking them. It's just the end result isn't there yet. So um, trying to focus more on, you know, the, the in-game adjustments, you know, what's the, what are the players thinking, you know, how can we help them in these moments? If we're a young team, try to get them to learn more uh, things like that, maybe, you know, situation stuff like that. So we don't do a lot of in-game charting. I would love, I mean, I would love to, I think that's one of my, uh, what would be my, one of my goals if, when I become a head coach, I'm an assistant just for reference. Um, when I become a head coach in the next few years, uh, that's the plan. I'm going to have somebody on my staff, hopefully from the high school that I coach at or college, I could, whatever it is to be able to give me some of the information if they're interested, kind of like you were in high school where I could help them and then mm -hmm. give them creative freedom so they can kind of learn and grow in that process. Cause I think that'd be really beneficial, you know, to somebody maybe and get them, get them like a head or something. Well, that's probably, that's pretty good general advice for a high school coach, a college coach, whatever it is is to find the nerd like me, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it, it definitely happens at, at the college level with student managers. Um, and, you know, sometimes it could take some training uh, depending on how advanced you want to get. You know, if you're just charting uh, field goal attempts and things like that, it, you can probably uh, get it going pretty quickly. But if you're trying to chart 
uh, things specific to your scheme or your team, you know, it, it is uh, sometimes a matter of putting some stuff or putting, putting in uh, the time on the front end. So you have like a, a trained person on the back end. Um, but let's stick with the four factors here. I, I want to get back to the process and results thing, but just so that we, we lay them all out. So we already talked, so we talked about shooting and turnovers. Um, and the third one is, is rebounding. And I think that this one is maybe the, the least obvious right away for why it's important to, uh, to not use rebounding margin, which is generally the way that uh, rebounding is, is classified. And it's a, it's a good lesson in, in tempo free statistics and, and in analytics in measuring things just a little bit more accurately. So what rebound margin does is it doesn't simply isolate rebounding. A lot of whether or not you are a good or bad rebounding team in terms of, of rebounding is if you force miss shots on, on defense. That that seeps into rebounding margin is if you force miss shots. Um, so if you think about it, on any given shot, the defense has a better chance of getting the offensive rebound, generally speaking, than, than the offense. You know, better positioning, um, a better chance to box out. You know, even even if at the college level, even when when uh, the best offensive rebounding teams play the, the worst defensive rebounding teams, they're still not usually getting over 50 percent of their misses. Um, and so uh, what rebounding margin becomes is how it's a big advantage for if you force miss shots, which is important. You want to be a good defensive team, but we just want to measure rebounding. And that's where rebounding percentage comes in. So it's rebounds um, per divided by total potential rebounds available. So how many miss shots are the opponents getting and what percentage are we getting from those? So it does end up being very similar to turnover percentage. Um, and it's not that, uh, one one uh, counter argument that gets used about rebounding margin is for it's it's a very good predictor of who wins, which is very true because everything I kind of just said about the missed shots, missed shots are good for winning. Um, but a, a key thing when when doing analytics, when measuring things in basketball, is to be as precise as possible. So if we just want to measure rebounding, that's where uh, rebound margin comes into play. Yeah, and that's where high school becomes a little bit more wonky because, like, if like we play a team next year, they may have a, they'll have a six nine guy or six ten guy. Like that's just, we play good teams, mm. and we don't. <laughs> so so you know the we may we may look at it and be like, well, we got you know twenty eight percent or they only they only had a twenty percent offensive rebound rate. You know we got eighty percent of our boards, but if they score on every single offensive rebound because we don't have anybody to compete with them that's different than just winning, you know, that rebound percentage battle. Right. So uh, for us, we kind of look at that as, okay, well, you know, for offensively, yeah, we're trying to get, you know, 20 to 25% of our shots back. Cause we're not the, you know, we're not the biggest team. So that would be a good, good win for us, but we want to convert half of our offensive rebounds into points. So that's, that's where I think uh, the four factors lay that out really well for like offensive rebound percentage, defensive rebound percentage, but there's a secondary kind of, okay, you know, the second chance points comes into it mm -hmm. after the offensive rebound happens. So, which I don't see a lot of people kind of uh, go deeper into and they maybe not be readily available, you know, cause second chance points could be uh, the ball goes out of bounds and then they get the ball back. I don't know how a lot of people track that, but for us, that's kind of our way we look at it. It's not just, did we get the offensive rebound? It's, did we score? Did we turn it over? Did they score? Did they turn, you know, what, what happened after that? Sure. Which 
is kind of a combination of two four factors then rebounding and the shooting you know but i'm curious while we're on the topic what is your team's sort of uh offensive philosophy after those rebounds you know there's like teams like villanova that are so good at spraying out for threes and uh it sounds like if if you don't have a lot of height is that are you trying to spray out or or what's the case there yep every rebound looking for a three immediately uh we call them green threes anytime we get it we look for the look for the green green guy shooting so we have green yellow red shooters right so anytime we get an offensive rebound we may even yell green at the beginning of the season to get them in the mindset of as soon as you get it i mean if you have a layup yeah like score it but like as soon as you get it if you don't feel like you have anything we're turning and looking and we just have the other four guys get to our you know slot slot corner corner and then relocate second cut to get open and look for that that catch and shoot three because the defense is usually scrambling and it's a great time in rhythm three you know usually uncontested and then go up from there so got it yep. yeah i mean just given your personality that's what i would would have yeah. expected <laughs> yeah for sure <laughs> um so the last of the four factors is free throw rate um which is a, a measure of how often you get to the line it's measured by uh, free throws attempted per field goal attempted divided by field goal attempted um so if you think about the best NBA players, they have very high free throw rates, although they do take a lot of shots as well. Um, but I'm, I'm curious, uh, how often do, does your, do your teams get to the line? I, that's one thing I, I'm not, we, we've talked a lot in the past, Gibbs and I, about how things translate um, from the NBA to college, to high school. What's that look like at the, at the high school level? Yeah, it, it, it is a lot of variance year to year, to be honest, um, because, you know, it just, it just, you know, personnel and everything changes who you play, uh, you know, our conference changes from last year to this year. Um, so uh, two year, the first year there is about 32%. Uh, next year was 35. Last year was 38. Um, but we had a, we only played 13 games, right? So we went from 30, 30, 28 games, 28 games to 13. So of course, it's probably going to be a little more um skewed compared to last year also we had a really good player go to wake force who was good at getting the free throw line so um yeah it was, it was basically around 32 to 35 percent is normal for us mm-hmm. is that the of the four factors is that the one that can vary the most from, from year to year yes say? yeah mm-hmm. yeah because like you play teams that press right so g- in general they're going to foul more right but you're also going to turn the ball over more so, um, like looking at this, like I have like 10 games, just I'm looking at real quick. Like we have a 35% free throw rate, 18 point loss, uh, 45, a 16 point loss, a 45, a 13 point win, a 45, a nine point win. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, it's, it doesn't mean a whole lot in terms of what we, we don't take away a lot from, Oh, we got a good free throw rate. We probably did well. It's like, no, it could be any, cause we had in one of the games, we had a 44% uh, free throw rate but a 28 percent turnover right so it's a it to me that that's the biggest thing is is we want to get to the free throw line obviously because we get free throws you, you know they're really valuable it stops the clock we can set up a press set up our defense but it's not something that we're like free throw rate free throw rate we got to look at what well, you know are we getting the line enough you know that's not really uh at the high school level for us that hasn't really been shown like a lot of correlation with success mm-hmm. So what you're kind of getting into there a little bit is something that I talk about with coaches a lot, whether or not they use or, or if they do, what, what are their game goals? Is, is that something that you guys do at all? It doesn't sound like it with free throw rate, but just in general. Yeah. Turnovers is the biggest one. 
um, for us. I mean, we, we, we do want to have, you know, good shooting. We wouldn't want to, but like for us, the biggest one, you can control turnovers in my opinion, more than you can control the rest of them. So we definitely harp on those first. So if we can control a turnover, uh, and, and really win that battle first, that will set us up for success a lot because, uh, even if you have a soft press in high school, teams are going to throw the ball around the gym at least five to six times a game. Like it's just natural. I mean, they do it in college too. So, um, yeah, for us, we focus on turnover percentage. And then after that, it's more like, uh, uh, for us, how we approach it is, uh, did we create an advantage? Did we keep the advantage and did we get the shot we want? So we mm -hmm. kind of keep those three things in mind each possession. So we may have, uh, like, like instead of doing points per possession, we'll just do like a maximum of three points per possession in terms of, do we create the advantage? If we didn't, then it's a zero possession. If we got all three, then we give us three points and then we tally it up, you know, divided by possessions that way. So it's a little bit different than just like points per possessions, turnover percentage, but, uh, yep. we do, we do chart and keep track of the four factors from, uh, analytics perspective, because, uh, right, right now we only have two guys on staff and we don't, you know, we can't really afford necessarily do a lot of, uh, you know, huddle or cro crossover was before, but huddle and, and things like that. So um, we chart out the four factors and shot chart stuff. Like, are we getting the looks that we want, but it's more about, are we creating the right decisions along the way? And then that's everything else usually takes care of itself. If that's, if that's the case. Mm -hmm. Well, one thing that we've been talking about a lot of is, the I already mentioned it, the different levels and maybe the biggest, uh, if there is a, a myth of analytics or, or a misconception of analytics is that it, I think if, if you surveyed a hundred people, a segment would say that analytics literally means shoot more threes. Like that's, that's, that's what it means, you know? And there's no doubt that that was one of the biggest things that came from the movement. You know, I mean, you can see how the NBA has changed and it's probably not a hundred percent because of the analytics people, but they had some role in, in the way that style of play has changed. Um, but the analytics isn't any, isn't devoted to any one philosophy or strategy. Uh, it's trying to find inefficiencies and it's trying to ask and answer questions with, with data is, is kind of how I normally define it, asking and answering questions. So what shots should we take is one of them. Um, but I, there's probably, probably within the NBA, there's not even a specific answer of how many threes you should be taking. It depends on your team. It depends on your personnel, especially then if you start to go to different levels. Um, this was a couple of years ago now. Um, but I remember tweeting a, a, a stat, uh, I think this was two years ago, when they when they moved back the three-point line in, in college, which changed something, which changed the game. Um, but about 30% of teams shot more efficient on post-ups than three-pointers at, at the college level, about, thir about 30%. And if you do that same thing for the NBA, it's like one or two teams a year, like 5% of teams, you know, and there's rule differences, you know, the, the lane is bigger. So it's harder to, to get deep post position. Um, there's, there's only 30 teams in the NBA. So everyone has post defenders, right. Whereas I'm sure at your level and even at the college level, um, post defense is very different, you know, that you might not have a, a not a, let's take out seven footer. You might not have a six, seven guy, you know? Yeah. Um, and so this, all of what I'm saying doesn't go against analytics. It goes against the three point revolution a little bit, 
but the whole goal of, of collecting data, collecting in, information is to answer questions like these and apply it to your level of basketball. Um, and, and yeah, well, I, you can, you can go with that however you want, I guess, but yeah. Yeah. And I think the, the big thing is a lot of people like literally it's come down to now, especially in the NBA where it's like, if someone says the word analytics, they're like, Oh, you mean you can't shoot pull-ups? Like that's what it's become. Mm. Right. Mm. And that's the yeah. frustrating part is it's become like a debate because some of the old school players who, you know, that's, they never played like this. They have their way of thinking and their beliefs and people want to interview them for some reason to keep that going. <laughs> I mean, I don't mind if you talk to them, but like it's, it's become so negative because of people saying like, you shouldn't. And it's like, analytics don't tell you the rules right like analytics aren't, aren't giving you this is this is this is what basketball is played in this absolute form like there, this that doesn't exist it just tells you the information that as a coach you're currently working with and you have to take that information and apply it to your current situation and figure out the best way to move your team forward and like the biggest we lump everybody into one category right? Because of synergy and, and, and data like that, where uh, if, if a team, like a lot of NBA teams are inefficient in the post-up compared to, to other plays, right? But it doesn't take into account, like if Draymond Green posts up versus Carl Anthony Towns, because Draymond Green isn't going to look to score, he's looking to pass. Carl Anthony Towns may be looking to score because he's more skilled in the post. And it's like, so we're taking these one team sheets at times or one player sheets at times. And we're just looking at the numbers and be like, man, that post play is inefficient. It's like, yeah, but like, if you look at the NBA finals, Giannis was killing them, not necessarily out of the post, but in post up like scenarios, you know, Booker and Chris Paul are two elite mid-range players. So they can take mid-range shots next year. When the Warriors come back, they're one of the greatest three point shooting teams in the history of basketball still. Cause they have two amazing shooters who maybe never will see again on the same team. So they're going to shoot more threes. And it's not a bad thing that the Suns can shoot more mid range and the warriors can shoot more threes. But the problem is we get so, uh, you know, left or right, like there's, there's right or wrong. And it's like, it's not about that. Right. It's, it's about finding what is the best situation for your individual team, individual player and how analytics can kind of enhance that. Yep. So I have a really good example of, of what you're talking about with, with Draymond versus Carl Anthony Towns in the post. I did some uh, consulting for a division one team whose best player was a seven footer. He, he was their best offensive player who was a seven footer with his back to the basket. And again, you would think, uh Oh, like that's analytics. You know, how are you going to do analytics consulting for the team with whose best player is a post player? No, we used we used the data and, and the information that we had available to try to make marginal gains to, to shot selection. So when your best player is a seven footer with his back to the basket, you're going to be a post up team. It's it's that's mm -hmm. that's that's what it is. And so we looked at how he is on on uh, on post ups from the left block, how he is on post ups from the from the right block, how he is when he passes out to a cutter versus a spot up. And try to contextualize all of what he does well um, versus poorly and build an offense around him. Um, naturally, it, you mentioned this and, and it's exactly right. The numbers aren't going to say, you know, run a, a rip set to get him on the right block. You know, like there needs there needs to be some application of of coaching and, and domain expertise that goes into this. 
Um, but they can also really keep you grounded sometimes the numbers, you know, it's just um, maybe, maybe we can get into this a little bit. Uh, but I find that when I'm, when I'm watching film, I see something and I instantly want to see, I, 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 let's, let's say a team appears to be shooting a lot of threes or, or something like that. I want to see where they rank on, on the leaderboard. You know, I'm like, it looks like they're shooting a lot of threes. And then the same thing can happen when I'm looking at numbers. I see a team that took the most threes in the country and I go, oh, I really want to watch the film on this. I want to, I want to see what they were doing offensively. They go together um, and they're not in, in conflict. It's like, there, it's a natural synergy between the numbers and the film. Yeah. They're like, you're talking about most of the time, if I'm watching a game, like I'll watch a team play and I'm like, huh, pull up Ken Palm. I'm like, where they rank on, on the, the three pointers attempted. Like I usually look at, you know, cause I, I do like for us, you know, in, in the, the six years of running an office in high school, we've only had one guy, one player who was over six, eight, and he wasn't a post-up guy. He was like a ball screen roll guy and, and offensive rebound and kind of like a hustle effort guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, really good athlete, really talented. He'll go play in college, but like, he wasn't like throw it to him in the post and, and score, you know, which if you have that in high school, those guys are really good. Like you're not going to stop them. It just, they're, they're so good. Like Jaden Gardner who played for us before is at Virginia. Now, like those guys in high school, he was 20, 20 every night, whenever he wanted to do. So for us, what we look at is, okay, well, like at the Cary Academy the schools that before was like, all right, we had, we had, we have shooters. Our biggest player was six, four. And, and, and he was a guard, like Trey Murphy, for those that know Trey Murphy, he, he was six, four in high school, six, five in high school. He's a guard. He's our best player. And it's like, okay, well, we're not going to look at post-up teams. We're not going to look at teams that, you know, slow the game down. We got to play fast. We got to shoot threes. So I'll look at those teams. And then I'll look at Ken Palm's list of teams that shoot the most threes. And it's like, it's, it's, there's so much variance in the, the offensive rating compared to the three pointers attempted. So you look at, you're like, okay, well, there's not a lot of correlation, but like Alabama, right. They shoot a lot of threes. They had a really good offense. Then you watch it and it's like, oh, okay, here's what they're trying to do behind these numbers. So uh, yeah, you can't always just look at like the stats of the, the NBA team who makes the most passes. Like, mm. like there's the top five teams in passing. It's like the first in offensive efficiency and then like 28th up because, because the first team is the Warriors and they're really good at passing. And then the, the worst team has to pass because nobody's really good at scoring individually. So it's, it's you just got to kind of look at the numbers and the film and then kind of figure out the sweet spot of where you kind of want to watch and, and learn from. I really like that example of, of the passing um, and it's, 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 an, it's an example of what makes analytics difficult is there's it's, it's not a, a science experiment where we get to the best way to figure out passing would be like taking the warriors and then putting different players on their team. So we could get a random sample and determine how pass you know, we don't get to do that. There's it's, it's not basketball isn't played in a lab. And what, what you kind of just uh, talked about is like reverse cause what's called reverse causation. So the reason why these passing teams um, are sometimes uh, uh, poor in offensive efficiency is not, not because of passing is the cause it's because not having players or not having good enough players is the cause of the passing. It's, it's the reverse. Um, And that, that is, uh, one of the when I think the best data scientists or, or the best analysts when doing stuff, whenever they find a result that's kind of surprising, the the right the right thing is to be skeptical. You should have some some um, 
you should be skeptical of, of really whether you're using analytics or film or, or whatever it is, um, you know, it's, uh, it can lead to uh, uh, some misinformation if, if used the wrong way. Um, and we talked about this uh, in preparation for this conversation, Gibson, but one thing that gets talked about a lot is film doesn't lie, the film doesn't lie or the, the stats don't lie. And I think they're the exact same thing. If, if I give film to uh, on a player or on a team to coaches, a group of coaches, and I have them give opinions, they're all going to come back with different opinions, you know, depending on their level of competency and their experience. Um, hopefully they're going to be somewhat similar, you know, depending on who the coaches are and all of that and their basketball background, hopefully they're going to be somewhat similar, but there's going to be differences. And it's not that dissimilar from, from numbers and, and analytics. There are still people interpreting these things and using their basketball experience. Now, to be fair to the field of analytics, there are techniques and methods to avoid these biases and, and, you know, to, to uh, be more responsible with this stuff. Um, but but so film numbers, you know, it's, it all has to be interpreted by people as well. Yeah. And it reminds me of, uh, I think it was, it was a CJ's McCollum brother that tweeted out something about like, he's not a good defender and he used defensive rating as the stat. And he thought, I think defensive rating, like the higher the number, the, the better you are on defense. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's like, I think it's things like that too, where it's like, I don't necessarily understand all of the, like the NBA data has like so much stuff you can get caught up into. And it's like, if you talk to most coaches, they usually aren't looking at all of this. Like I think they're looking at the, the analytics department, their job is to kind of sure. uh, decipher that information and tell the coach what's most important. Here's the most digestible form of that. Um, what, when you kind of do your either consulting or just something before, what was one of the ways you kind of were able to like clearly communicate that information. So that way, maybe if somebody is trying to do this, they could maybe to a coach, give it more clearly. Yeah. Well, communication is is huge it, with any decision making or you know process, but especially on something that uh, in the consulting, obviously the coaching staff that I'm working with doesn't have the exact same uh, level of expertise, so communication becomes even more important. Um, I'm from there, and I mean my my biggest advice for is graphs and pictures are, are very helpful and and colors when I, actually when I worked at uh, Nevada for Eric Musselman he had his whole own and this wasn't necessarily analytics but he, he would take a box score just a traditional box score and he had a color coding system for good and bad and it was like unique to him I had to learn it and then when I started making analytics reports and things like that I would I maintained his color coding system in a little bit different of a way. Um, the, the other thing that I would point out to someone who, who wants to get into this is you're absolutely right that like a coach or the, or even the final decision maker doesn't need all, all the information, you know, kind of just, he just needs to make the decision. Um, uh, but data itself is, is important for, for like my job, you know, I want all of, I want as much as possible to do my job. But absolutely, you're not giving it all, you know, so sometimes I talk to coaches and they're like, you know, it's too much. It's too much. Well, actually, NBA teams invest like millions of dollars in tracking cameras and things that create this data. It is too much if it's getting when it goes up all the way to the top of your organization. If you still have all of that, then it's too much. But data is a very powerful thing just in general. So I would I would point that out. 
Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, one of the things talking about like passes and like the passing, right. Uh, the biggest, I think topic with that is a lot of people see, think passing, just like passing numbers, the better passes, the better you off, off you'll be. Um, and I don't know if you can touch on this, maybe from, from any college perspective, I know they've ESPN has put out a couple of like, uh, uh, graphs on like game, certain games and different things like that. I've seen on Twitter, uh, where it's passing versus ball reversals. And that, that's the big thing. I think that if you're going to look at passing numbers, the biggest difference is, uh, passing numbers don't mean anything from what I've, I've studied. I've, I've charted six years of high school possessions. I mean, I have, you know, over 15,000, you know, possessions charted. And the biggest thing was, the number of passes don't mean anything number of ball reversals do. And the, the biggest thing for us was if we had less than one ball reversal, it was 0.48 points per possession. And I guess maybe we want to talk about what like points per possession, what is generally a good number for points per possession scored? So it definitely depends on, on league. Um, right. But, but uh, you know, the, what a lot of college coaches try try to do is one over 1.1 points per possession on offense and under 0.9 on defense, or you can simplify and say above one and below one. Um, but generally speaking, as you go down in leagues, the least, the less efficient offense becomes. Um, and you know, NBA teams are, are extremely efficient, especially these days right now, but yeah, keep going. Okay. Yeah. So that kind of gives a little bit of a baseline. So, uh, less than one pass 0.4 points per possession, uh, or less than one ball reversal, two ball reversals. It went to 0.71, three ball reversals, uh, 0.85 and then four ball reversals. It went to 1.2. So like a huge jump, even from two to three, but three to four, like if you, you can get the defense moving side to side, that's the biggest thing that I would, probably focus on if I'm going to look at passing or like movement, off ball movement, things like that, because you get them going this way and you get them moving, it creates a lot of chaos and you'll just find a lot more success. So mm. that's, that's the, over the five years of charting, that's what I've been, I've been seeing. So. Well, the, the other thing you mentioned earlier that ties into this is the, how you, you chart, it, it was an advantage created, you know, and, and you like, that's why you're passing ultimately is, is to create an advantage. Um, so it again it's it's uh about trying trying to make sure you're measuring what you truly intend to measure so uh, another example of where passing passing stats can go awry we see this in uh in football with with rushing yards when you get up by a lot late in a game in a football game you rush you 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 try to waste the clock essentially um and so it skews the end of game statistics towards running teams win in football. Same thing with passing. When you get up now, you're going to be more selective with your shot selection. It could just be more time of possession rather than passing. If it's sort of like dribbling out top. Um, but these are all things that are adding nuanced to these numbers. You know, a very simple way would be to ignore those possessions in your analysis of, of you know, of those, uh, like stall ball type of, of possessions. There are ways around these. Um, but my, my advice that is what are exactly are you trying to measure? I really like the advantage creation th thing that you mentioned. Um, and it could be specific to your offense, you know, like you can get very specific with analytics and, and, uh, how it, it impacts your scheme in particular. 
Yeah. And we, we actually do that. Um, I have an Excel document that I've been keeping for the last two years um, where we'll chart individual plays and, and individual like types of plays and what happened on the court. Um, so that way it's not just like, Oh, uh, this game we scored, you know, 85 points. It's like, well, every single possession is, is its own story. So going through the film, going through the data, I can look at, okay, we're scoring really well off our chin set. Like, why is that? And like, why don't we run that more? You know, so we know we're going into the next game. We've only run our chin set four times in the previous five games, but we've scored every time. Well, let's run this 10 times this game. And then maybe that game you run it 10 times and you only score two times. And then, but then you look at, okay, in those 15 possessions that we have, why are we only scoring? Like, are, are we creating the advantage? Are we keeping, you know, you can go into your, your individual system that you talk about in each individual play. So there's a lot of, uh, for us, we go into a lot of detail in terms of like, okay, well, this play is working really well for us. Why is it working? Like, are we just making the shot versus are we running it right? Um, this play isn't working. Are we just missing the shot and we're running it right? You know, things like that. And I think coaches can get caught up in in looking at it too much and so that's why we try to simplify that into those three things where it's just like your credit advantage do we keep it do we get the shot that we're looking for either in our system or for that player you know because every player isn't created equal and, and if anybody tells you that you know shot selection doesn't matter it does but like it it, it just it, it matters way more in high school than i think it does in like the nba mm. so one of the uh great parts about doing as much charting as as we both do or i i did when i was working for teams is you are it you get the numbers you know but you're also watching film it forces you to systematically evaluate your team in a, in a more like organized way than maybe sometimes when we watch film uh, and and you i think you guys do this with your high school team but a, another example that comes to mind is when i was at new mexico state we ran I, I, I worked for coach Jans, who's still the head coach there. And uh, we ran about 50 set plays. He had a pretty large playbook and halfway through the season. Um, I, I had been ch somewhat charting just how sets in general had been doing. And I, I knew that they hadn't been doing that well. And the, the, the big advice that every, head coach gives to assistant coaches this is it's almost a cliche at this point but it's if you're going to criticize you better have a uh solution right like don't come to me just with problems that's a, you know something in the college basketball world that's talked about a lot and so naturally you know i have these statistics on how our set plays were doing and we had other elements of our offense that we could use besides the set plays but uh I don't think that, especially in the middle of the season, when you don't necessarily have time to like overhaul a whole offense, that it would have been that productive to say, we suck when we're running our sets, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that was, that's what the numbers would say, you know? Yeah. And so what, what I did was I, I had, I charted points per possession on every single set, but also I had notes on like the execution, like Johnny isn't in it wasn't in the spot when we were like very, very specific details of, you know, either we're not running it right because we did have so many, our guys were not the best at executing at times like the end. And, and, uh, and so it, it goes back to the using these things in conjunction with each other. You know, I, I still, 
I think that the that the the stats, the points per possession, added a lot of value in that case. It gives you a starting point for where to where to look at what sets have been effective, what haven't been. But then the little details that are going to be important for a coach, and that's you know, it's it you have to get into the details of of whoever you're working with. In this case, it's coaches. Yeah, for sure. Um, what let's say uh, you you recommend maybe a starting point. Right. Let's say a, a program, a high school program, a high school coach doesn't really know a lot about analytics or yep. you know, wants to wants to maybe do more. Um, where do you think a starting point should be? Mm. I think that basketball on paper by, by uh, Dean Oliver is, is a really good start. Um, it is sort of MBA based. I haven't read it in a while, but it's it's fairly MBA based. Uh, but another another piece of advice that I give in terms of reading is not even like you just took a, a statistics course you said and mm -hmm. even if it's not about that i mean naturally you know i i find basketball interesting i like reading <laughs> reading about basketball but there are uh, the, just the the uh concepts of statistics um can be extremely helpful for all of decision making and coaches have to make as many decision making as much decisions as as anyone um so like Freakonomics or, or, or things like that, that are um, on, on how humans make decisions. I think that's a really good start. And then I would, I'm biased here, but there are a lot of online resources on, on these things, you know, half court hoops and hoop vision are, are the two that we do, but uh, you can learn quite a bit off of YouTube videos. We both have newsletters um, and th there's, there's a lot out there um, to, uh, to get you started with for sure. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think if you're going to do it uh, as, as coming from a high school coach um, who necessarily didn't know a lot, you know, five, six years ago, I would say the biggest thing you can do is just focus on one thing for like the first season. Cause you know, we're, we're in the preseason now. So, you know, it's probably a little too late to really go deep, deep into it. You know, we're starting, you know, tryouts in a month and a half, but um, I think the biggest thing is choose one you know, like choose turnover percentage, maybe choose, you know, free throw rate, whatever, whatever you're going to focus on or choose one sort of uh, analytical idea and then go with that, you know, and just focus on maybe on that for the season. And then you maybe get a feel for the baseline for how it goes and then, and then go from there. So that's kind of how I would approach it. You know, obviously I, I marry the, the film and, and every time I, I chop up film for us, I put in notes in each file, you know? So if we run a play, I'll say like not run right or like, you know, horrible decision by whoever or a good decision by whoever. It's not always horrible, but it's, you know, it's just, just notes for, for myself. And then I upload those into Dropbox. So all the coaches can see like, Oh, we ran, you know, this chest action, you know, why didn't it work? They can click on the file. They can see the video and see the file name and then, you know, go from there. So that's kind of how I do it. I give as much information as possible. But again, like you said, I wouldn't go to the, if I'm assistant, I wouldn't go to the head coach and be like, Hey, this play is not working. And then just walk away. You know, you, you, you look at the film, like you said, talk about why it's not working and say, Hey, here's the adjustment I would make. And most of the time the head coach isn't going to listen to that adjustment, but that's okay. They, they like having, <laughs> they like having that information so they can say no or yes, I promise you, as long as the communication is clear and concise, they'll appreciate you doing that work. Um, so, yeah. 
I think you can like wear off on them over time. You know, the first time it's a no, oh, yeah. and then you know, like, <laughs> if it keeps becoming a thing months down the road, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, that yeah, yeah, you might get some change there. Yeah, it's, and but it's all about how you how you present it and how you have that mentality of you know, like when I go to our our head coach or something. Now it's like you know, we have the trust. He basically, if I didn't even go to him, and and he would he would be like, yeah, whatever, like just do what you need to do. But that's because two years ago I would go to him and be like, hey, this is why I think we should do this. You know, here, here's a whole page report. And most of the time they don't even look at the whole thing. You know, they'll look at it and, and read, you know, see your intent is good. And most of the time be like, okay, let's try it. And then if that doesn't work, then maybe you have to work a little harder. But for the most part, I think if you went with a, a realistic approach to, hey, I studied the numbers, I studied the film, here's what I'm seeing, here's where I think we should go with this, then it becomes a conversation versus a combative kind of dialogue. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, people skills and communication are, are definitely a big part of this and probably like the fitting, the fitting spot to end um, because it is, it's not something that you necessarily think about when you think about analytics right away or, or, you know, all this stuff. But uh, um, yeah, I, uh, I hope that you guys got some information that is of value. Uh, we are both uh, online on Twitter at uh, I'm at HoopVision68 Gibson. You're at Half Court Hoops, right? Yep. Um, and we would be happy to uh, to help further if, if there's a way that we can help your teams. Um, yeah, this was fun, wasn't it, Gibson? Yeah, a lot of fun, man. It's always always fun talking a lot of basketball with you. <laughs> for sure, for sure. It's almost like we uh, should do a podcast. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> Yeah, if you do want to listen to those podcasts, that was the big game pod. They're still up on, on iTunes and stuff. We may be doing it again every now and then. We'll, we'll see. But um, we do we do go into a lot of these conversations on that podcast and more specific to teams and games and situations that you can always go back and watch too. And a big thank you to Brad and Huddle for having us. Um, we appreciate it. And uh, I'm looking forward to checking out some of the other sessions. Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And for more Swish content, be sure to check out huddle.com slash Swish. See ya.